great. How's everybody doing? Good? All right. Nice. Excellent. So I think a chance to beat you out in the lobby. My name is Harold. I'm the campus pastor here. And uh, it's good to have you guys with us. Um, <clears throat> so in this, is, this little first section doesn't have anything to do with the message. Um, but in 1 Corinthians 4, Paul talks about the fact that, <clears throat> that God moves you know, pastors around and, and for a period of time. There's very few churches that actually have pastors that are there for their entire career. So he moves pastors around. And, and he does that because the church needs to learn some things from this particular pastor and, you know, Pastor probably needs to learn a few things, too. <laughs> I mean, not me. I'm just saying a lot of pastors. <clears throat> but he also does that with music people. Um, and so we're letting everybody know this weekend that uh, Dave and Sarah Marie have uh, made a decision to, to go back down to Virginia. Um, so they're having, they've got a kid on the way, and so they want to be around family, which makes complete sense. Um, so... Yeah, the residency is a, a year-long commitment, um, but they need to get back before that, get jobs, health insurance, all that kind of good stuff. So uh, we'll get, give you some more information about that as we progress through June, but they'll uh, be here um, through June. So uh, be praying for them, and um, we just really appreciate uh, both of them and what they've um, done for our, our church and our ministry. Um, like some of the practical stuff that you guys probably don't see or know, uh, like we were having some sound issues, and we just didn't have it figured out. And Dave comes in and goes, oh, yeah, well, the discombobulation of the discombobulation, that's what's wrong. And then he fixed it. Um, <laughs> so he does stuff like that. It's very practical. Um, so we appreciate that. Uh, we also got a guy in this weekend that we're interviewing for the position. We don't, we don't mess around. We move. Um, so be praying for that. Um, I've spent a couple days with him. Now he's down in Fremont. Um, at our main campus so that the uh, staff there can get to know them and um, elders can see them and, and all that kind of stuff. So I was at the practice yesterday, and uh, things went well. And so, anyways, be praying for that process, that transition that takes place and what God's going to do. Um, God continues, you know, he moves his people around as, as needed. Um, and so I bet some of you guys were thinking, is Harold saying that? <clears throat> no. Well, go ahead, uh, turn to James chapter 2, it's page 1208, and uh, we've got, as, as you know, uh, those who have been here, uh, James is a very practical, convicting uh, letter. Uh, I've noticed some of you guys came in with your uh, steel-toed boots today, because so you're getting tired of your, your toes stepped on. But uh, let me just kind of give you a quick review for those that have not been here or maybe missed a couple weeks or so, but... The overriding truth in James is the fact that our works don't save us, so our good things that we do don't save us, don't make us right with God. Only God saves through faith in Christ. But they do show whether we've truly made that, that commitment, that uh, been saved by God, um, which I appreciate Dave um, throwing out there, that whole opportunity to, to accept Christ. Um, it was really good, by the way. That was just on him, by the way. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, I don't see that in our service planner. Don't do it, Dave! No, it wasn't. It's not how we do things. No, so I appreciate him doing that. But yeah, placing our faith in Christ, we can't save ourselves. It's a work that only God can do. And, and it's something that we place our faith in him, believing that he's done that for us. And so no matter how we, or how we respond to our trials, we talked about, no matter 
or how we respond to our temptations, how we respond to what God says in the Bible and whether we are quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger towards it, um, that all kind of says, okay, do you truly understand what salvation is? Have you placed your faith in Christ? And today, then we get really down to some of the nitty-gritty, just some of the really basic stuff, and that is, how do we respond to people who come through the doors of our church? How we respond to the people who come through the doors of our church show God, show us, and show others whether we've truly placed our faith in Christ. It has a, an impact on something so basic in our lives. And again, as we were challenged last week, we, don't want to be, we, we want to be quick to hear, slow to speak, or slow to make excuses, and slow to resentment. That's so anger is that inner resentment towards in this case, God and God's Word, we, we want to be quick to hear and obey and not make excuses, and not be resentful to what God's calling us to do. So uh, some of you guys know this, that uh, for a period of time I took a break from being a pastor. We went out to Colorado and we were taking care of Kim's dad, um, and we since moved him back here by us. But, so we were out there for about four years. I wasn't a pastor at the time. I was ministering as a um, uh, facility coordinator at a high school, and I use the word ministry for a purpose because just like people who come to church have issues and want to know more about God, people that you work with have issues and want to know more about God. And so I use that opportunity to share Christ with people, share the gospel with people, um, talk through issues with people, and give them what God's word says. A lot of them were shocked. You know, you're a pastor. Uh, they ordained someone like you. Um, and, you know, so I slapped them upside the head and said yes. Um, you know, so I had that opportunity. So when we were doing that, we had to go find a church. And, and thank the Lord for the first-time attenders that come to our church. Uh, in fact, I was just looking through our, um, our records, if you want to call it that. But since January, we've only had one Sunday where we haven't had a first-time attender at our church. You know, so people are checking out churches. and they're Yeah, that's good. It's awesome. So people are checking out churches. They want to see what does God's word have to say, and is this church particular church for me or not? So we were doing that, and we've learned, you know, we were reminded of a lot of things and why we do what we do here at church at Grace Point. You know, for instance, what we try to do is we try to be friendly to people, but not like in your face. So if you're a first-time attender, hopefully somebody said hi to you, uh, but nobody came up and go, oh, hi, give you, you know, a big old hug. You know. We had that happen to us. Walking into church, hi, welcome. <laughs> I'm, I'm married, and she's right there. Anyway. But we went to this one church. We went to this one church, and it had a lot of cars outside of it. It wasn't a big church, but it, you know, fairly nice size, and probably you know, I don't know, two or three hundred people inside. So we thought, well, let's go to that one. It looks kind of cool, and there's a lot of people there. Looks good. So we walk in. So the kids at the time, um, you know, they were whatever they were, middle school and high school, so I don't know. They were with me, though. <laughs> and uh, so, as Kim was too. So us five, you know, we go walking in, and, you know, and again, not to pat ourselves on the back or anything, but we're fairly normal looking, right? At least four of them are, and, and so they're, you know, we're dressed not crazy up, you know, we're just like this, real casual, like everybody else in the church. And so we, we come, and of course, I'm the dad, so I've got to take the lead, you know. So I come walking in, and everyone's trailing behind me, and <clears throat> get the guy at the door. The guy opens the door for us, and I say, good morning to him. I say, good morning to him. Nothing comes out. Of, he doesn't even look at me. 
kind of weird. And so each of my, because we're all good Christian people, right? So we come walking into the church, good morning, good morning, good morning. That guy doesn't say anything. So then we go up to the auditorium and, and we're handed a bulletin. So good morning. And nothing <clears throat> out of the person's mouth. Just a, just a bulletin. And uh, yeah, it's kind of weird. So we did learn something, and that is when you go to a new church, probably best to sit in the back row. Because just when you, you don't know what you're going to find. The gutsiest thing a person can do is walk through the doors of church. Am I right? Because you don't know what you're going to find. I've had some people tell me some horror stories of what they found when they went into a church. This church wasn't so much of a horror as it was nobody talked to us. It was the weirdest thing. So we sat down in the back row, you know, dutifully sat there, and everyone's talking to everybody, and we're kind of, and then the guy gets out, hey, welcome to such and such church. Great to have you here this morning. Everybody fell on the card, blah, 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 blah. Let's all stand and greet everybody. Notice how we don't do that. Anyways, so, because we learned something. So everyone stood up, including us, and we're like, this is it. People are going to, no joke, the people in front of us did this, and then went, hey, good morning, good morning, and talked to everybody else but us. <laughs> so, it's like, I got my hair, you know, just right, we're smelling good, we're looking good, we're not making noises, we're not, you know, nothing's going on. <laughs> Anyways, so then we're like, okay, again, we're good Christian people even, we're, we're just looking like everybody else in this church. So I turn around, and they have, like what we have, kind of a back row that's up against the wall, a little bit of a space. Turn around, and they're, they're not even looking at us. They're... So then I step out into the aisle, figuring, <laughs> and nobody treats me this way. I'm going to come in and let you guys know how to do a church. I've been a pastor before. Nobody. Service is over. Nobody talked to us. We walked out, went home, and said, we're going back to that church. That was awesome. So the question is, how do you respond to somebody when they come through our doors? You know, it, whether it's a first-time attender, or a regular attender, or maybe a recent attender, maybe even a member, how do you respond when somebody new comes through our doors? Do you, you see them and go, mm-hmm. oh, the windows need to be cleaned. <laughs> Clean the windows, or oh, there's so-and-so, I need to go talk to so-and-so. How do we respond? Because according to what God says in his word that we're going to read this morning, how we respond to people who walk through our, the doors of our church shows whether we truly understand the gospel, whether we've truly placed our faith in Christ. And if we're going to walk our faith, we're talking about the faith that walks, and if we're going to walk our faith, we are going to graciously receive into our building anyone and everyone who walks through those doors. Again, whether a first-time attender, a recent attender, a regular attender, a member, doesn't matter. So, how do I know that? Well, because God says this in James. He's having James write to these Christians. And he says, my brethren, of course that means everybody in the church, Got to make sure everybody understands it in this day and age. Not just the guys. You know, it's for everybody. Do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. 
For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who's wearing the fine clothes, and say, you sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down by my footstool or sit down by people's feet. Now here, not so bad. Well, some of you might be bad to sit by their feet, but most people, you know, we've got shoes on and we've, we've probably taken a shower in the last week, so our feet aren't so bad. But back then, they wore sandals and dirt and they had horses and donkeys and cattle in the street and their feet stunk. You go sit over there. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? And the answer there is yes. So the Greek there, it means the answer is going to be a positive. It's yes. Listen, my beloved brethren, do not, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? Again, yes. But you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into the court? Yes. Do they not blaspheme the fair name of, uh, by which you have been called? In other words, Jesus Christ. Yes. If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall, which is, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, that's the royal law, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. For he who, does, uh, for who, said, for he who said, do not commit adultery, talking about Jesus here, he also said, do not commit murder, Matthew 5. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you become transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are judged, not by the law of Moses, but by the law of liberty or by the gospel. For judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown mercy, no mercy, and mercy triumphs over judgment. So a faith that walks, a person is truly been saved, they've placed their faith in Christ, doesn't play favorites. Cut and dry. In fact, in the Greek, the command is actually at the beginning of the sentence. Personal favoritism? No. We don't do it. Christians don't do it. And certainly then it's not going to be in the church. What is personal favoritism? Well, as you can see, it's a really long Greek word. Uh, again, there's some really long Greek words in here. But it, it, it means literally acceptor of face or taking something what we believe is at face value in the sense of judging a book by its cover, making judgment calls on the appearance of somebody else or how the person acts or how the person walks or how the person talks. It's just appearance. And it, and it speaks to something that's regularly done. So this is a, a, a person who professes to be a Christian whose lifestyle is one in which they regularly reject people based on their appearance, what they perceive the person to be. Or a church who has a bunch of those people, and so therefore there's a culture of it at the church. And it's seeing people in a way that you determine whether there's a personal value for you or not to interact with that person. Do they bring you some value? Do they bring you some benefit? And the benefit could be anything, but it could just be, I just feel more comfortable with this person or that person as opposed to the other person. The idea of personal favoritism, this phrase is only found in Christian writing. And so scholars have kind of researched and found out that that's, it's only found in Christianity is because 
non-Christians, that's how they operate. It's all about personal favoritism. It's accepted. It's expected. But it's only within Christianity and, and within the church, as Christians get together specifically, that that is not to happen. Everybody else does it, not Christians. Why not? Why can't we just hang out with the people that we like? Why can't we just come in on Sunday morning, find the people that we like, okay, here's, and just talk with them and talk with these people because we like them and you know, those are new or I know that person and I don't want to talk with those. Why can't we do that? It seems kind of mean of God that we couldn't do that. Well, James gives three reasons here. There's probably others, but these are pretty good, especially the first one. The first one is that Jesus died for all people. He calls them the glo- our glories, that we hold our faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. He gives them his full name. He's glorious. What does glorious mean? It means it's a base, uh, the base word is glory. And what is glory? Glory is anytime something is revealed. So I can, I can reveal my glory as a Bierga. I can, I can reveal the, the Bierga glory. And that's a, how I look and how I walk and how I talk. And from Chicago, and so I have a little bit of that going on. If you saw my brothers, you'd see we all look alike. And um, Just got a text from a brother that my dad is now the oldest member at our home church. So 95 years old. So that was kind of cool. Anyways, um, just side note, squirrel. And <clears throat> anyways, so, you know, that's the, gl- that's the glory of the Bierga, okay? More important than that is that Jesus is our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who reveals who God is. He is the physical representation of who God is. He's God the Son. And so, if we say, I place my faith in Christ, then the expectation is that that I'm going to then reveal who God is through my life, who Christ is through my life. See, Jesus died for all people. He didn't die for, for a certain type of person and not another person. He died for all people, no matter who they were. For those of us who place our faith in Christ, Jesus looked past our appearance. He looked, he looked past our economic situation. He, he looked past uh, our talents or our lack of talents. He looked past our ethnicity. And what he saw was, he saw a person who was in their sin, who if they died in their sin, they would spend eternity in hell because of that sin. And he said, I'm going to do something about it. I love them. And so I'm the only one who could do something about it. So I'm going to put on flesh. I'm going to die on the cross. He looked past everything in our lives. Jesus took us as we were. And he expects us to take anybody who walks through the doors of our church just as they are, and respond to them in love as he responded to us. So James uses this uh, a, a, kind of an example of a favoritism in the first century. It was, it was poor versus rich. They were favoring the rich over the poor. And he's emphasizing the personal appearance here. So we're, we're getting this idea that we're judging a book by its cover. He says you give them special attention. It means to gaze at with favor or pity, but the context is favor. And so you're, you're gazing, gazing at them. Just, oh, aren't they beautiful? You know, it's that kind of thing. And so they would, 
in the first century church, they met mainly in homes, and so they only had a few places to sit. And they're, oh, you, Mr. Rich Person, with all your rings and fine clothing, sit here. Way to go. Way to sit in the front row, guys. Favorable seating, right here. <laughs> yeah, you guys, you have your umbrellas? Um, anyways, so they did it, and then they told the poor people who came in, you go stand over there, or you go sit by someone's stinking feet. And again, the world does this all the time. Plays favorites all the time. Always looking, how can I gain someone's favor? And when I do that, maybe there's something in there for me. But Jesus says, through James, that it's making distinctions. And that word means to separate thoroughly, or to withdraw from. We see them, not you down, but we... We see them and we withdraw, or the word that we're so familiar with today, everyone's talking about it, is to discriminate. And then he says this, you do that, he's talking to Christians now, those who profess to be Christians, you do that, you have become judges with evil motives. The word evil there is the, the most strong word for evil that James could use. And it means that you have hurtful or vicious intentions. You know, whoa, 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 James, what are you talking about? No, I'm just, I'm, it's not that I'm rejecting them. I'm just wanting to kind of hang with my friends. I want to hang with the people that I know. I, I got things I got to do. And, you know, church is supposed to be a place where I leave excited and happy and feeling good. Man, I, no, God's like, no, 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 no. If you do that, you're being hurtful to the person who needs you to be kind and loving. You're, you have vicious intentions. So if you claim to be Christians, that means we, we walk our faith, we live it out, we do what Jesus did, we represent Christ. And people who walk through the building, we need to see them as Jesus sees them. And what Jesus sees is a human being created in the image of God who may or may not have accepted him as a savior, and if they haven't, that means that they need to know him and the love that he shows. If they do, still need to do that, right? And so then we can introduce them to Christ. They're no different than us. The only difference is we've placed our faith in Christ. They may or may not have. Well, not only did Jesus say that we're not to make distinctions. And, and Jesus didn't make distinctions when he died for us. He says that God honors the poor. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, he's not saying that God only saves poor people and he rejects rich people, because that just doesn't happen. In fact, if that was the case, none of us would be here, because Americans, in, in comparison to the rest of the world, we're all rich, so we wouldn't... He's not talking about that. What he's, what he's talking about here is that the, 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 um, the poor person, the financially in-need person... Um, they're rich in faith, the potential to be rich in faith, and to be heirs of the kingdom. God has, as you read through Scripture, God has a special place in his heart for those who are poor. He, he constantly cares for those who are poor. And so those, those who are poor, and then they come to Christ, they're rich in faith. And we talked about this in chapter 1. Meaning that they, they have a, just a, a greater opportunity to realize and recognize how awesome God meets their different needs. Wealthy people, God still meets their needs. He's actually meeting their needs, and they don't even recognize it. That's the whole problem. 
a rich person says, oh man, you know, I'm going to lose my job or things are getting cut job-wise or whatever, and we, they get all nervous. We get all nervous. Wonder how are we going to pay the bills? How are we going to pay the Same way you would if you were a poor person. God, how do we do this? Give me wisdom and discernment to make decisions. Provide a job if I need a job. But rich people think, eh, you know, I'm just making another investment or yeah, I'll work a few more hours. I'll provide for myself. And they're heirs of the kingdom in the sense that generally speaking, those who are poor see their need, understand their need, and they turn to Christ for salvation. And a little bit easier, maybe, than a person who's rich. And so I've heard this illustration used before, and you got to yourself a really nice, expensive, warm winter coat. So you walk up to a rich person, and they're outside, and you're like, hey, you want my warm, wonderful, expensive coat? Like, no, no, I got 15 of them. I don't need it. And the coat, it's like salvation. But you walk up to a person who doesn't have as much, say, hey, you want my coat? Yeah, I'll take that. And, and that's kind of how salvation is. It's this wonderful thing, but usually people who are wealthy at times more so than maybe those who are poor. But favoring the one who appears to be rich over the one who appears to be poor dishonors the very ones that God honors. And then the last one, it's, it's kind of a practical reason. It's because the rich are the ones who oppress and drag Christians into court, he says. Now, he's, he's not saying, hey, Christians, free to do reverse favoritism. When a poor person comes in, seat them in the nice seats and tell the rich person to go sit at someone's feet. He's not saying that. His point is just, it's very practical. It's just, you're doing all this favoritism, trying to get some favor out of these rich people, but they're the ones who are dragging you to court. Yeah, they're the ones who are oppressing you. It just logically doesn't make sense. So when they come into your building, greet them. Hey, thanks for coming. Great to have you. Poor person comes in. Hey, great to have you here. Welcome. And let them sit where they're going to sit. Don't favor them. Don't look for a special something from them. They oppress. They exercise dominion against them. The first century, the vast majority of people were poor. There's only a few wealthy people who kind of controlled a lot of the stuff. Especially Christians were poor because they were the ones being persecuted. They were the ones losing their jobs, losing their businesses because people didn't want to deal with, with Christians. And he says they, they, the rich drag you into court. And it has this idea of being forced in against their will. And you know, there's discussion as to why that would be. Um, Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 6 you know, that Christians shouldn't be taking each other to court. So maybe there's a thing where, you know, a, a Christian who doesn't have as much looks to a rich person, whether a Christian or not, and says, hey, can I have a loan? And maybe things get, you know, sideways or something with them, and they're not able to pay the loan. And so the rich, rather than being gracious, they take them to court and force them to do whatever they need to do to get the money back. Not really sure, but the point is that that's what the rich do. Poor don't typically take the poor, can't afford it, you know, especially back in the day. And he says, the rich blaspheme the name of Jesus. They talk against, they vilify. I love that word, vilify. They speak in an ungodly way. They make fun of, they joke about. And what James is saying, listen, when they make fun of you, they're actually making fun of God. And again, not that they, we shouldn't, anybody who comes through the doors of the church should be cared for, ministered to, and certainly not overly or favored as the rich were. So if we're favoring some or rejecting others due to their outward 
appearance or perceived wealth to us, we're being vicious. Our intentions are vicious, they're hurtful. But if we love them, and we love them all equally, whoever comes into our building, we take care of them and love them, we're doing well because a faith that walks lives by the royal law. And that is to love your neighbor as yourself. The royal law, the the law of the king. So if you've placed your faith in Christ, now you are a child of the king, the Bible says. And so therefore we live out the royal law, the law of the king. And, And that is whatever God tells us to do in Scripture, that that is the supreme, absolute, binding authority for our lives. If we disagree with what God says, that means we are out of whack and we need to see, okay, what does he really mean and how do I actually apply that to my life? And again, we're all in that boat, whether we're Christians or not. We're all growing, we're all learning more. Jesus says this is the second greatest command next to loving God. Love God, love others. And so we're to love. It's the Greek word agape. It means sacrificial love. And so how I kind of define it is that you're looking out for the best of somebody else no matter what it might cost you. I'm looking out for the best of other people no matter what it might cost me. And it's going to cost us something. To love like Christ will cost us something. It costs Jesus his life. And so it's going to cost us something. Somebody that we don't know or a new person comes into our church or somebody we do know or not really, you know, personality-wise, whatever. What, to love them means to, it's going to cost me my initial perception of them, what I think they are or I think they might be or even know what they, what they are or who they are. And so it costs me. And I say, no, I'm not going to go make myself comfortable. I'm going to make myself uncomfortable and I'm going to go have that conversation and say, hi, welcome to Grace Point Church. Great to have you here. Can we point you in any direction? You know, like for instance, if they have kids, they probably want to know where Grace Kids is at. You know, just that kind of thing. Well, if they look parched, they want to know where the coffee and water is. You know, that type of thing. If they come crawling in, get them in my wheelchair. You know, whatever the case. But it's going to cost us. And again, you guys know that. I, I shared a story of us going to this church. But you guys have been to new places. You've walked in as the only one that doesn't know anybody. And what were you hoping for? Probably hoping for somebody nice to come up and say, Oh, you're here. <laughs> no, you're probably hoping somebody go, hey, great, great, great to have you. You know, welcome to whatever it is you're at. And good to have you here. If you need anything, let us know. You know, we, we want people to treat us. And so we should treat others the way people treat us. God's serious about it. And he says, to do otherwise is to sin. Not welcoming people into our church, not being friendly to those who come walk through our doors of our church. It's not just bad manners. It's not just something like, oh yeah, you know, yeah, somebody else will get it. You know, I know I probably should, but somebody else will get it. It's not bad manners, it's a sin. God calls it a sin, it's disobedience. Obeying everything. If you if you came to church and you did everything right, you sang perfectly. You know, and you you gave in your offering plate, and you served, and you told me a good message, even if it wasn't. You you did everything right, but you failed, or I failed, to greet somebody in a friendly way. Again, we're talking about a lifestyle that does this. 
that day in or Sunday in, Sunday out, Thursday in, Thursday out, which is our Bible study night. You know, anytime we're together as a church family, you just have this, this um, lifestyle of not responding to people. But that's sin. Yeah, we miss people. We get that, right? That's why it's important for all of us to be friendly because sometimes we miss people. I tried, try not to, but there's times where one of our church regular attenders and members is talking to me and it's, it's you know, something heavy we need to deal with and so I'll deal with it, but there's sometimes where if I'm talking with you, I've done this to some of you guys, if I'm talking and we're just talking, you know, cars or, you know, rain or, some, you know, something real big, I'll just say one second and I'm going to go over and I'm going to say hi to somebody that I don't know and I, I'll, I, I did it this morning. I had to do it this morning after the 9 o'clock service because I just got done preaching on it. So, um, <laughs> And then I went, see guys, see, just like that, just like that. Pat me on the back. Um, and he uses the illustration of adultery and murder, which is what Jesus used in Matthew 5. And people will say, well, you know, but this isn't adultery and murder. Or, no, it's not, but it's still disobedience. And so you can do anything, you can do everything right on a Sunday morning, but you fail in that one area. If that's a consistent failure, then that needs to be addressed, needs to be dealt with. And by the way, this is not just for pastors, full-time staff, paid staff, part-time paid staff. It's, it's for all of us who profess to know Christ. Whether you're an, um, what's the word to be outgoing? Extroverted. Or intro, I had an introvert, I couldn't come up with extrovert. Whether you're extrovert or an introvert, doesn't matter. That's, you need to be willing to do that. That's the cost. Some people think that I'm an extrovert. I'm really not. I'm really, in my personality, I'm an introvert. But as a pastor, I need to be an extrovert. So I go home, and I'm wiped out from being extroverted. <laughs> Extrovertification. And I go home, and I take a nap, because I'm wiped out. I'm not even sure if that's the word. And James finished up the discussion, and he reminds Christians how God measures the reality of our faith. And so he talks about you're being judged, you're being measured by the law of liberty, the, the gospel, the salvation. When we place our faith in Christ, God forgives us of our sins. He places his Holy Spirit in us. And, and when we die, we get to go to heaven. Not because of anything we've done, but because of everything God has done. So we get to go to heaven. But he also empowers us through his Holy Spirit and, his, and, and God's word, living out God's word, to to stop sinning. Not that we ever become perfect, but that we, we are able to look to him and, and we don't sin. We can get through our challenges. And, and so God says, okay, I'm judging you by the gospel here. You've placed your faith in Christ. You've been freed from sin. You can do whatever God calls you to do because you've got God's spirit in you. And then he looks over here and he says, okay, you're doing everything right, but you've got this area in your life where it's just consistently not doing what God wants you to do for those who come in to the church. Isn't there, we, I don't know about you guys, but that just seems so nitpicky, doesn't it? Yikes. Anyways, but it is. That's what he's saying. So, okay, but you're doing this, so wait a second. You say you're claiming this, but you're doing that. And, and a person who consistently does that, and they're not going to deal with it, they're not going to work through it and really, okay, did, did, is Harold right here? Is this what this word, I'm going to study this out. Is this really what he's saying? And if it is, then you say, oh, Lord, man, please forgive me, give me the strength to do it. But if you don't, and only God knows, and, and you know that what you're professing isn't what 
the gospel is. And so therefore, judgment is merciless. Because what, it's saying, what James is saying there is this is a chance that you're not truly saved. You're unwilling to do what God calls you to do. That's disobedience. And if, and if the lifestyle of that is a chance, you don't know the Lord. And if you're left in that situation, judgment is merciless. person who doesn't have faith in Christ and haven't truly placed your faith in Christ, which is demonstrated through how we live our lives, if it's unwilling to rectify that situation, there's a chance that they're not truly saved. And, and that scares everybody in the room, right? But he says, mercy triumphs over judgment. What he's saying is, if you've professed your faith in Christ, and then he looks at what you're doing in your life, and you realize, wow, what James is saying there, I do that. And I need, to, I need to work better at that. So on Sunday mornings when I come to church, Thursday nights when I come to Bible study, when we get together as a church family, God, please give me the strength. Help me to take that step of faith and go talk to somebody I don't know or somebody I do know that I maybe don't talk to on a regular basis. Help me to do that. Then God says, yeah, see, you're living it out. You're living out what, you're, what you claim your faith to be. And of course, there, mercy triumphs over judgment because you're a follower of Christ. Not because of what you do, but because you've truly placed your faith in Christ, and then that is lived out in what you do. So the next week, you want to come back, because you're like, ah, I'm kind of confused. Come back next week, because that's what James is going to be talking about. Read up on it. Study it up if you want. James chapter 2, starting in verse 14. We're going to be talking about faith and works. What does, that, what does that mean? It's got some people kind of messed up at times. So we're going to talk more about that. But today we want to put some feet to this walking out our faith. And so we've got three takeaways for this morning. And the first one is this. When you see a first-time attender or someone you're not comfortable around, do you look for an escape? You find other people to talk to? Do you go find something to do? Suddenly you're concerned about what's going on in the kitchen. The impact team needs some help. So I'm going to go, you know, what's your response to that person or, or people as they come in? You, not that you're going to walk up and insult them and not that you're going to tell them to go sit by someone's feet, but the whole thing of personal favoritism and discrimination is it means that you withdraw from them. You don't make yourself accessible to them. But let me just say a real quick word um, about cliques because um, this comes up from time to time and I haven't heard it in our church and hopefully it's not an issue in our church, but cliques, cliques are basically groups of people who get together because they have similar interests, whatever that might be. And so they, on Sunday morning, because they have similar interests, similar place in life, you'll find them somewhere talking together. And so somebody new coming into our church or somebody who's been around our church for a while will come in and be like, click. And they'll maybe even try to get in. And, you know, because you're not in their place of life, or you don't have the same interests, you kind of feel like, I can't even be a part of that group. And so there's kind of a click that's formed. Listen, I get clicks. I'm not going to. Thus saith the Lord, God says clicks are bad. They're not. During the week, you got interests with people in our church. Get together, have fun, do your interests, be the, in the place of where you're at in life together. But on Sundays, on Thursdays, when we're together as a church family, don't make that the habit. You have all week to get together with them. Look for other people. Or take that group of people with you and look for other people. You know, there's safety in numbers. You know, 15 or 16, go up to first-time tender. Hi! <laughs> no, don't, don't do that. Poor first-time tender. Like, oh, my word, who are these people? 
And then let me say one other thing about this. If you're a follower of Christ, you've been a Christian for a long period of time, and you're concerned about cliques. Here's what I've learned over the years. People who are concerned about cliques are people who are typically in a clique. Uh, it's weird, but it's true. So if you're a person concerned about cliques, then you need to take a step of faith. And I'm talking about somebody who's a regular tender member of our church. You need to take a step of faith, and you need to be praying for and asking God, there's got to be other people in our church who feel the same way I do. And not that you go up to them, hey, you see clicks? Yeah, I say, I do too. Man, we'll show them. But there's other people who need friends in our church. Connect with them. Um, especially if you're a follower of Christ, you need to be able to, to do that. Secondly, that was just free. Secondly, is there a, a type of person or group of people that you would shy away from or reject if they were to come into our church building? A little bit of a different question here. So somebody walks in and they appear to you to be a liar. What are you going to do? How are you going to respond? Are you going to withdraw? Or in spite of that, you're going to walk up and say, hey, welcome, glad you're here. Or maybe a, a person who's a gossiper. They just appear to be a, a gossiper. <laughs> I don't know what that would even look like. I had some cartoon thoughts in my head, but I won't share them. Um, big ears. Anyway, um, maybe someone appears to be sexually immoral, and they walk into a building. Maybe that person appears to be gay or a gay couple walks into our church. What's your response going to be? What happens if a transgender person or gender-fluid person walks into our building? That's the reality of it, you guys. What's the response? Are we going to judge them by their looks, appearance, what we perceive? Or are we going to see them the way Jesus sees them? As a person created in the image of God who may or may not know Christ as, a, as their Savior. And if they don't, they need to know Christ as their Savior and Lord. And so, will we graciously accept them in and share with them the love of Christ and how we respond and then eventually in the words that we use and we see them come to Christ and then walk with them as God does what God wants to do in changing whatever it is that needs, needs to be changed in a person's life? Isn't that what God's done with us? He met us where we're at. And somebody in our life shared Christ. We placed our faith in Christ. And then we're still all working through the experience of, oh man, this is where I've messed up, and oh, this is where I'm not thinking right, and oh, this is where I'm not acting right, and God, forgive me, help me change. Everyone's got that. Who are we to think that, some, that we've got it all figured out? The third thing is just that, that God would desire, God desires that we would be a church that sacrificially loves anyone and anyone who walks through the doors of our church and that we would love them, that we would care for them, that we would walk with them and that they would come to Christ and we would encourage them and help them understand what the Bible says and to, to walk through the missteps they have because we've already been there. And let God do His work in their life just like God's doing work in our life. It's an awesome privilege that we have, you guys.
It's an awesome, awesome opportunity to see God work. Let's go ahead and stand and we'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this morning. And um, I'm, uh, as I'm sure others are, we're not necessarily always appreciating hearing what we hear. But Lord, help us as followers of Christ to really take your word and work through it. Don't take my word for it, that we would wrestle through this, these 13 verses and say, oh God, God, help me to know, where, where am I at? What am, what am I doing? Am I doing this? Do I have this attitude, this heart in me? Change it. And by doing that, showing that we are truly followers of Christ. Well, thank you for the privilege and honor that we have. And, and for those in our church who are doing this, who are walking with people and wrestling through the challenges of life and and all that, Lord, thank you so much for them and for the growth that they're experiencing, the excitement that I hear in their voices as I, I hear these things. Thank you for the growth that happens. And Lord, I just pray that you would give us your love for others and that you would allow us to respond through the power of your Holy Spirit to love people as you love them, to accept them as to where they are, and then share with them the love of Christ and see them come to Christ and walk with them. Praisings in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for being with us. Great to have you here this morning. Have a great week, and represent Christ well.